This week on Kettle of Fish, actress Meryl Hathaway stops by to talk about laugh riots and illogical situations. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debates, hate, or arguments allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. Alrighty, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show after the show, the talk after the talk, the 30-minute comedy money shot after the one-hour political foreplay. I am your seafaring podcasting captain of the internet airwaves, Nick the Saucy One Catsaurus, broadcasting to you live, as always, from the top of Meth Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my nightmare-walking, psychopath-talking, king-of-the-jungle, gangster-stalking producer... The Lois Lane in my Superman smut novel. You know what that means, right, Dee? Dee, the soon-to-be on AGT producer. Hi, yes. Um, And every time you say that, it just doesn't fit in my brain. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do AGT. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Are you th- are you hitting the mute button in between saying that and vomiting from nerves? Uh, not yet. Well, and I think it's probably it'll be fine. You know, I'm one of those people that I get so super nervous before I do something that I think I'm gonna die, and then about five seconds into actually doing it, I'm good. I'm good. I own it. I'm cool. Everything's all coming up Millhouse, and everything will be awesome. But until then, well, I'm going to be like, oh, God, I Let me go back to my Superman <laughs> smut novel reference because we actually – we did some filming in um, Springfield, Missouri and Branson, Missouri with Rachel from King of the Nerds on our new mm-hmm. web series and Mormo up in Branson. And we stopped off, which I didn't even know existed until I asked you to find a halfway place mm-hmm. between here and Branson. We actually stopped off in Metropolis, Illinois, and went to the Superman Museum, which this cat has, like, a personal collection of, like, 50,000 Superman items, products, uh, memorabilia. And one of the things he had was Lois and Clark smut novels. Yeah, it was crazy. He's got everything from the original wigs that were worn in the first three movies, you know, the Christopher Reeves war in the first three movies, all the way to the Lois Lane and Superman smut novels and the dress that, that Lois wore when... How did you not know about that? You're a smut I, novel person. I, I, I'm a smut... How am I a smut novel person? Because you always tell me, like, I read this, it got in the mood and excited. You read Dude, Stop this. now. I... I don't abort, know. abort. Yeah, yes. I don't know what... Yes. I don't know what counts as smut. Yeah, I like paranormal romance a little bit. It's all I have read. I mean, you can Anne throw Rice's up whatever euphemism ex- you want. You're reading fucking smut novels. Sometimes I've read Own a few. It. Own it, girl. I've read a few. I've read a few. Every every reader worth her salt has read a few here and there. Um, but yeah, it was really cool. We we went through the museum and they thought we were somebody else, so they let us in free, which is nice. And I'm like five bucks is going to kill us anyway, but. Um, I was sort of paying attention. There were signs everywhere saying, don't touch this, don't touch that, you know, don't touch, uh, you know, this computer from some episode of the original. I'm surprised they didn't duck like fucking oven mitts onto our hands because they Something. were pretty particular there about being near anything. A lot, a lot of stuff. Don't touch yourself while looking at the smut novel. Right. Uh, 
but then I wasn't paying attention, so I had Nick take a picture of me because they had a phone booth from the original series in 1948. So I was like, here, here, I'm going to stand in the phone booth. I'm going to shut the door a little bit. you got to take my picture. And then as I got out, I noticed the little sign on top that says, please don't touch. I'm like, oops. Well, let's be honest. The owner was like fucking Prince Valium from the Spaceball movies. He wouldn't have noticed anything. He really was. I tried to have an engaging conversation. I was like, hey, are you the owner? Is this your collection? Because we had read about it before we went there. And he was like, "Um, yeah, yeah, that's me. And I was like, oh, so blah, 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 blah. Can we do an interview? He's like, well, if I'm here, yeah. If I'm not, I'm not here. And he was just like the most mellow, like I said, Prince Valium from Spaceball guy ever met. Uh, yeah, he was very, like, I don't know, man, but he'd already done, like, he'd been on the Today Show, and he'd been on, like, I think he said he'd been on Jimmy Kimmel, and he'd been on, you know, like, 300 different newspapers, so it's all, like, whatever. All I heard was Bueller, Bueller. Yeah. That's what I heard when he was talking. All right, let me get Fern in here. I also want to introduce a girl who will be heading to the polls Tuesday, but not before stopping off at Wawa's to get a delicious turkey grinder. Wow, Fern, the voice voice hard. Hey, did those oh, turkey grinders keep your voice moist? It's the gobbler. You have to get – if you haven't had a Wawa gobbler, you have not lived, number one. Number two, one. I also want to say, Danielle, you did something today that has never happened before. And, and Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong. We had such a great pre-show conversation with our guests today that Danielle actually shushed us. She's like, okay, shh, it's time to start. <laughs> like, she, we seriously shushed us. Has that ever happened before, Nick? In my private life, yes, Danielle shushes me all <laughs> well, the time. Well, no, she shushes us all the time, but before shame. a show, has she shushed us? I don't think so. That's pretty amazing. I'm just, with Danielle, I'm just like a puppy that pees on the rug. I just hang my head and go, yes, ma'am. Yeah. Danielle's what keeps it all together, man. She is the friggin' Elmers of this crew, that's for sure. Dude, she keeps me, a, nobody could deal with my insanity. The fact that we've been together eight years, I told her the other day, I said, look, I was mentally like calculating all the women, all the relationships I've had in my whole life. I've been with you longer than I've ever been with all the women put together and I've been married twice I'm a guy who had a six day marriage yeah but I too I do take a two hour burden per day off of her too so you you call me and and vent to me politically for two hours a day and without that she would have skinned you alive that's it. She turns the backup wife. I love that so much. I love that. That's awesome. awesome. Shut the fuck up about Trump. I can't take it anymore. Shut up. I go, all right, time to call Fern. Yep. Can You're you not going to believe this shit. <laughs> like, what, what bizarro fucking Superman world am I living in? What the hell is going on? All and right. I'm like, yeah, no laundry or cooking is getting done right now. It's just not happening. Okay, Nick, let's talk. <laughs> you don't know how many, like strokes you've averted just me talking to you or how many blood vessels in my fucking head was going to burst and I called Dude, you. Dude, I'm like, your blue blankie. I'm your political blue blankie. Yep. I God, talk me off the ledge, Fern. All right. Um, let's <laughs> get the guest in here and talk yes. about yes. what we got coming up first. Steve, tell us everything we got coming up in the wonderful world of Tin Can. Yes, in the wonderful world of Tin Can, please do keep an eye on our YouTube. Of course, we are working on our new web series. um, And we will probably, I'm sure, talk about it a little more on Wednesday when we have Rachelle on a very special Kettle of Fish episode. um, Because we did go out cosplaying with her. And spoiler alert, three of the four of us won awards. And I I was the one who didn't win because I was just Tank Girl, which is super easy for me. But 
Uh, it didn't matter. I didn't really care because guess what? I built one of those costumes, baby. What? Anyway. Yeah, and uh, I built nothing. So I came to you guys like three hours before the party and I was like, and Rachelle is from season three of King of the Nerds. Yeah. Her whole shtick is cosplay and I was like, help me. I don't even know what I yeah. want to be. It was so much fun. So Rachelle and I built two costumes in like two hours two and a half hours oh, and it was guys great. were incredible you it were so stellar and the cosmos was with us because the first thrift store we went into i found my inspector gadget jacket right there like glowing it was the and, first like, i never had such an hit. easy time finding mm-hmm. something yeah it was really really easy um and then wednesday the 15th we are going to have the agt with me pre-show with matt geiler and el bell who of course have R. previously sorry what did i what did I say, E.L.? I don't know why I said that. That's not E.L. Fudge. He doesn't live in a tree and make cookies. <laughs> I, but he I'm is. smiling profusely. I'm so he happy for you. Sweet. I'm so happy about that show, but I'm happy for you. I'm so excited. Ugh. He, R.L. is pretty sweet, and one could say he's a little bit fudgy um, in a good way. So, yes, Matt and – We'll be um, bringing that up Wednesday with him, by the way, that you will. called him fudgy. Uh, he's – I mean, he's tall, dark, and handsome. How can you help? He's got that Barry White voice. Whew. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's how I like my brownies. What's not to like, man? Exactly. Fudgy's good. <laughs> so Matt and RL are going to give me some tips and tidbits before I do my audition uh, the following Sunday, which we have the clothes. We have the clothes, people. The clothes have landed. They're fabulous. They're from Torrid. Torrid, give me things. I love you. Um so that'll be tons of fun, and if I don't pass out right before going on stage, we'll be good. Then December 3rd, we are going to come back with some uh, KOF with Haig Hovnanian, who's on the web series Harvey Knuckles. And then the 6th, we'll have a special funny thing about politics with actor James Morrison, who's on Revenge, he's on Twin Peaks, he's on about a thousand other things. Um, he was just on the Orville last, mm-hmm. no, a couple weeks ago. Um, and we're working on a couple of other things. And today, today I can't help but smile because today was a gift to you. I was like, I got to get someone from the Good Place on the show for me because it's your favorite show. It is. I love the Good Place so much. And somebody wouldn't watch the first season with me, and finally went back and binged it, and then had to say, "I was wrong." Wait, what did you say? I was wrong. It, yes. I love it. No documentation now. He I was wrong. He said he was wrong. Because I'm like, sure show. now. My tail just fell off. I told him. I said, I can't help but love this show. It just makes me happy. I don't know what okay, it is. There. I don't know if it's Ted Danson or Kristen Bell or you know everybody else on this show. And we've also seen her in other things um, like Deadbeat with our buddy Tyler. Um, and she's been in Veep and Two Broke Girls and about a hundred other things. So, yes, today we have the always super nice and from the good place, Meryl Hathaway. Meryl, how are <laughs> oh, you? Hooray! Meryl, thank you Yay! so much for coming today. I have to tell oh, you a story, goodness. Meryl. Are you ready? Tell me. So I came across, you came across my radar on The Good Place. Um, This Mm -hmm. is a show like we kind of inferred to earlier that I wouldn't watch. Honestly, I thought the premise was dumb. I was like, oh, God, this sounds dumb and cheesy. And then Dee watched and was like, you've got to watch the first season. Badgered me every day. So I went on Netflix and I totally like binge watched the first season in about two days. And I got to tell you, man, The Good Place is one of my new like favorite shows. I love the good place and Ted Danson. I've got a man crush on him. He is fucking absolutely. How, how could you not? Show. He is. He's a bad, sexy silver beast. 
<laughs> oh, he is. He is dreamy. He really is dreamy. Yeah, and I liked him on Becker, but I got to tell you, I am crushing on him on The Good Place, and I have never been so wrong about a TV show in my life. I was totally like, yeah, everybody's in heaven and doing like this comedy in heaven. It sounds lame. And then Dee was like, just watch it. And I put it on and I was just blown away. Every scene, every, like, I can't stop saying enough good things about this show. It is truly special. It's really smart. It's a really smart show. And Mike Shore is brilliant. He's a creator and he was, you know, one of the main guys on, uh, with the office and parks and recreation. And he is just one of those, his mind just thinks outside the box in such a way that I think that show is like such a step above in such an intelligent way. So many other comedies, you know what I mean? Like the way that it, um, through those twists in, at the end of the first season. And then the yes. second season has been just such a, you have no idea what's going to happen. And with yeah. comedy, it's just not, it's just not always that way. You know, I, not that it's always predictable, but, that the the storyline and where it's going to go as a whole show is usually at least someone somewhat understood and expected whereas this it's like he's really just doing a whole new thing it's amazing i love it intellectual versus dick jokes right like this is an intellectual show versus just like slapstick dick jokes you know whatever and it it is very smart i agree with you i absolutely love it it's fantastic but i do worry like how do you do the good place season nine like i worry how much material you can get out of it because you are in such kind of even though it's heaven and the afterlife and no spoilers and hell like how big can this universe grow how much can you kind of do can you push eight nine ten seasons out of it uh janet yeah Oh, go ahead. Yeah. What about Janet? No, I was going to (laughs) say Janet made a person. How could you not go somewhere? Like there's no telling, literally no telling where this could go. But I mean, you know, it's great. It's great. I think they are just full on making up their own rules at this point. So I agree. I feel like they could really throw a wrench in anything that you would assume could or couldn't happen. And that's what's brilliant about it. Like it's just, I I also want to say though that on set, it's it's really interesting because now I've gotten to be a part of three episodes of the show, and what I took away from it the most was that they really, really do focus, because um, all my scenes are opposite Kristen Bell, and um, they really focus on where emotionally her character is going, how she, where she's coming from, what is feeding everything, and they really think, not just intellectually, but very emotionally with the show. Um, and I think Janet having created a person was like a perfect example of that, that even the robot, like she does have feelings deep down. And I think as like a general human race, like we always wondered about what robots would actually be like. And the right. fact that she started off very straight edge robot, and then you start to see her change a little bit. It's, it's even more fascinating. Well, you know what I would love to see? I would love to see your character and Angela, um, I hope I'm saying her last name right, Trember's character. I would like to see you guys die and end up in the good place. And I could see Angela more in a, like, Ellen, the other Eleanor role where she's kind of, like, taking things over. Yeah, you know, I've never wanted to die more, but I agree. Right? I would love to be dead. <laughs> I could totally see you guys showing up in a season finale in The Good Place and being like, we got killed, like, in some t-shirt riot or something. I mean, I think that's yeah, something that could like, totally hey, happen. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. All right, let me kind of pivot to this. So I want to talk about your humble YouTube beginnings. 
Um, like I said in the intro, you came across my radar on The Good Place, and I, you know, being the studious little punk rocker I am, I booked the show, I went and checked <laughs> out everything that has to do with Meryl Hathaway, found your YouTube, went on and checked out the first video that I watched was a sister story, it, you know, Winnie, a sister uh. story, a sibling story, rather. And I was watching it, I didn't read the description, and I was watching it for a few minutes, you know, as long as it was, and I was like, man, this is really cool that Meryl wrote this and got Minnie Driver on this. This is amazing. And it actually <laughs> took me the whole fucking episode to figure out that it was you because huh. you were so spot on flawless. And I'm not making it up. I actually thought it was Minnie Driver. Wow. That's amazing. Oh, I'll give you a little. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've i been getting that I resemble Mini Driver since 1997, which is the year that Goodwill Hunting came out. And wow. while it's a major compliment, I mean, obviously, she's, she's a, a beautiful, intelligent, very successful, good actress. And, um, but, you know, when you get it, uh, I'd say five years in a row, you start to think like, okay, when is this going to start to go away? And then 10 years and it still doesn't, you go, all right, well, I got to do something with this. You know, I can't just always have it be like, oh, yeah, I know, and do the laugh, you know. So I decided that um, it would be more fun to have something to kind of direct people to go check out when they told me that. Um, and half the time it was happening in casting rooms where I'd be auditioning for something. And before I would even start, they would make the comment that I looked so much like her and the whole thing. So I, I came up with, you know, remember the E! True Hollywood stories that we all grew up on? I yes, mean, I love those. those. <laughs> I love those. And so I kind of thought about doing something similar to that, where I would play like a fictional character because I didn't want to try to do a direct impression of her because I didn't know if that would be offensive or um, if I would write something like as a joke, but then it could be taken out of context. And so I just tried to play it really safe and created this fictional sister that Minnie has cut out of her life, but we don't really know why. Um, and then I just wrote, you know, six very short episodes. But I love that Winnie doesn't know she's been cut out of Minnie's life. That's the great No, part. not at all. She's like, this is really weird. Why isn't she responding? Like, right. it's just strange. Um, and, and I had a blast with it. I shot everything in one day. Um, wow. I prepped the whole thing, and I got all kinds of, like, set dressing stuff, um, from different like Goodwill stores. And I already had all these VHS tapes of movies that she was in. Cause there are so many of them that I love. And, um, and yeah, I just shot the whole thing in like six hours and edited them into six episodes. <laughs> did you ever, have you ever met mini driver? Did you get any feedback about the web series from mini driver? Oh, it's so funny. So I have met so many friends of hers in the industry that I've worked with. Um, but I've never actually met her in person. There was one time I was hiking in Griffith Park with a friend, no lie, and we realized from about 20 feet back that she was in front of us hiking alone up the mountain. And we were trying to come up with what would be the no like most non-weird way of introducing yourselves on a mountain with when she's alone and be like, hi, I look like you. And we decided there was no good way to do it. We <laughs> no, didn't say not. hi. <laughs> but that's where, that's where you made the mistake. You should have thought it the weirdest way to approach yeah. her. <laughs> and be like, hey, I'm your Lost City, like, sister Winnie, how you doing? Like, yeah. give her hi, something. Hi, I'm you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Right. Yeah, so I, I chose not to actually meet her, but 
I've gotten great feedback on it. Um, every time it comes up now and I kind of send somebody, you know, uh, the link to it or show it, um, which happens fairly often because it comes up so much. Um, it's, it's always like people are like, oh, my God, that's great. And the wig that I found to play her, is, it really is perfection. So I was just so happy to find that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know that was a wig. Like I said, the performance was so flawless. I thought you just had curled your hair up. And and like I said, at first, <laughs> I didn't even know it wasn't Minnie Driver. I thought you were just a writer of YouTube content and you had like cast her for this. And I was like, wow, this is funny. But see, that's oh, the cool yeah. thing, too, because your character reel, you do the mini driver on your character reel, too, but you also do a Kardashian, and you do Carol from yeah. the Plenty of Fish, and that's the one that I was intrigued by. Like, I'm a young 43, and I like to swim, and I like fish, so are you doggy paddling yeah. through this podcast now? Because I was just like, this is great. Every single person that I saw was, like, somebody completely different, and that's talented. Like, I just got to say I admire that because that was, like, real dedication and amazing to watch the transformation between one to the other to the other. So it was very cool to watch. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I used to um, do a lot more like character work like that when I was doing a lot of sketch comedy and it is so much fun. Like when you can sit into a character so much that you can have zero scripts and just basically improvise as that person. So what I did for those characters in particular was I kind of challenged myself where I would give each character a question they had to answer. Um, and then I kind of improvised and I would tape each one and then see how it went. But I recorded all those myself too. I, I liked kind of sitting into each character and then letting the tape roll and see what kind of came out of me. But I love doing that so much fun. But you're a true underdog story because you have some great content on your YouTube channel and single siblings and all these different shows. As you move away from like that YouTube world and generating your own content into like this more structured television world, and I assume that you're you are working full time in entertainment now. Like, are, do you miss being able to totally control your content and kind of going into the TV world? Do you miss that, or are you like, hey, this was always the end game, so I'm totally cool giving that up? Well, it's interesting because I think that, you know, it's, there's such beautiful things of, of, of both things, right? So I didn't get to write my character for The Good Place. I didn't get to, um, you know, come up with uh, how, how she was going to look and what she would wear or any of those things. But what I got instead was to get to work with these incredible professionals who already had a brilliant, funny script that I got to play within and then get directed by people who have a different perspective than me, which I love. I love taking direction and getting adjustments because I think that is one of the, the most challenging and exciting things about being a, an actor alone, you know, is just getting to take in what someone else is seeing and see if you can kind of manipulate it enough to, to make it clear. And when it comes to my own work, like I do, I do, I think sometimes miss having the creative control completely because there's nothing really more freeing than that when you're performing. But I, you know, I'm still writing a lot and uh, I'll be shooting a short film that I wrote and will be starring in in the fall or in the next uh, month or two. And that still allows that kind of stuff. So, but it's different. It's not the same as I used to do it. It's progressed more into, you know, how can I write and frame something that'll get to go somewhere where most people get to see it, you know, like festivals and, and things like that. So it's kind of thinking of it differently, but I'm still in the creative seat when I'm making my own work. Um, it's just not as often because I am working more on other people's sets more often. And I do miss it when I'm there a little bit, I think, because there's just nothing better than being able to 
go from A to Z completely on your own as creating something, you know, because there's no other input. It's just you putting out there exactly what you want. And there's something really, really powerful about that. But you have a history, like, with the UCB, right? Like, you studied and went to the UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade, correct? And that's got to be, yeah. like, freeing right there, like, to be able to do your own thing. Whereas, you know, on The Good Place, I loved your character on The Good Place because, like, I expected it to be, like, the antithesis. But you were really, like, the devil on the shoulder, like, encouraging. You're like, yeah, I'm your badass friend, and I'm totally going to be here, and I'm totally going to encourage you to do bad shit. Like, it was really cool, <laughs> but which is awesome. Like, I was expecting <laughs> something different. But, yeah, I totally get where, you know, doing your own thing, like, that definitely comes through with that character reel, and that's got to be freeing, especially with that UCB background. Yeah, and yeah, I did. I studied at um, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York first, and I was on a sketch team out there for uh, for a while, um, which is MOD. That's how they call MOD and Herald teams. And um, and then when I came out to LA, I uh, got back into it and was doing a little bit more like in, indie improv kind of stuff, and then got on a sketch team as well. But I started working by the time I got on a sketch team out in LA, where I had to leave it because I had other things that were getting in the way, honestly, of being able to do sketch there. But yeah, it all definitely stemmed from learning the basics of, um, you know, I hate to use the word rules, but there are rules within comedy that are really helpful to understand so that you can go and break them. And without the framework of that, I don't know that I would have been as successful with creating my own characters so that they were really full characters. And um, yeah, and, and it definitely threw me into the world of, like, there's nothing better than throwing on a wig and deciding who that person is. And that's half of what I love to do when it comes to that is um, becoming that person is such a huge part of who they end up being, the slow and gradual decisions of, okay, so it's this wig, I'm going to, it feels like this voice would come out. Okay, if, if this voice is going to come out, you know, who, who would she be friends with? Who is she maybe talking to that she talks to you all the time about? this one thing and then piecing all of that together yourself I think is like so much fun and sketch and improv really help with that because you think so deep and and outward into what things could be because there's rules but there are rules that are meant to be broken but also coming from that YouTube world because there's really something to me if coming from the punk world myself DIY about it like how much of what you learned in the YouTube world helped you as far as navigating where you are now as opposed to like the upright citizens brigade or improv like is it equally balanced or did you learn a lot more just kind of generating your own content i think i i mean i learned so much from generating my own content for sure i mean i i learned the the different uh, you know you make a lot of mistakes when you're making your own uh, projects at first uh, there's so many unknowns and i had only really come from working professionally on commercial shoots so you know, I'd gotten a lot of experience with that and I understood being on a set and I understood a lot of things, but so I feel like creating my own content was a huge, huge, huge benefit and pushed me forward. But so did taking the classes and performing on stage at UCB, because then you also get that instant gratification of the audience. You get right. the sense of whether right. something is working well with an audience. Whereas with on camera stuff and when you're creating videos, you put it out there and you wait to see what people think once it's done. Whereas when you're on stage performing a character, if you lean into something and you can tell it's working, you can lean into it real hard for the rest of the show, right. knowing that it'll go really well. Wow. Instant gratification so versus constructive criticism. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, like and like also- there's constructive criticism on a YouTube thread. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of mean stuff, but I feel like yeah. there's also been a lot of nice stuff on mine, which has been nice. You know, people randomly finding it and being like, hey, you're hilarious. Like, that's just, it's. I think it's just so much more, it's so nice to see that instead. But as a creative like, entity, what do you get more out of? Like the adulation from the live audience or actual going back and reading 20 comments in a row that say, I really enjoy and got something out of what you did? Oh, yeah, it's tough. I mean... I think there's nothing quite like an audience laughing five feet in front of you. There just isn't. There's nothing like that. That's why actors will do theater forever, even though they don't get paid, because it feels amazing. And you feel in the moment and you make those quick changes for yourself as you're performing. And there's something just so um, mind-numbingly exciting about it. But I will say that I've started getting much more excited about each of my projects that are going to be the on-camera and then edit and then put it out. Gotcha. Because you get to really plan and, and do something that is so much work that when you see the final product, it's, it's, it's pretty gratifying as well to be able to have that and have it forever. Because then you also get to show that video forever. It just exists. Whereas a live performance, it happens and then it's over. Yeah, and I used to play in a punk band. So I'm like, I am totally getting what you're saying. Like, I used to love the yeah. energy coming off the audience and looking out and seeing somebody sing my lyrics back to me. But also, if oh I produce God. something. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and, I, and it's like I produce something that's well-polished, and I'm like, hey, I'm putting this out, and I have the time to actually get it out there the way I want to get out there. Like, that's actually really mm-hmm. gratifying, too. So it is a struggle. So it's probably an unfair question. Bad host. That was unfair of me. No, no. I think everything just feeds itself into to every project you're doing. You know, everything that I've done before, it, it comes up in what I do next. And, um, I mean, I've had a lot of people mention um, the comeback to me and, and my character from that. And that gave me a lot of confidence going forward into other things I got to do afterwards. Like, being as big and strong on camera as I was in that show allowed me to play Britney to this like, you know, nth degree of obnoxious, but fun in the good place. And right. you, you don't know what you're going to learn from each thing, but I always learned something that I, I didn't expect. Well, let me ask you this then. So as kind of like a working actor, you're to the point where you don't have to work a day job. Do you get to exhale now that you're bringing in like that sweet, good place money? Like you could say, hey, I'm on TV. I've done these different projects. I can exhale. Are you kind of like the Henry Fonda mind? Like I'm never going to work again after every project. Oh, Fonda all the way. (laughs) I wish I could exhale. I mean, I think I've definitely had more of those moments of being able to just sit back and be really proud and excited. And I really try to do that. It's just, you know, it's so few and far between when you get that moment of feeling like you get to celebrate and they're so important. Like every step of it is so important to celebrate that I kind of force myself to do it. And, you know, like when the next episode of The Good Place, I'm in the finale of this um, season two. And when that comes up, I'll make a thing of it. You know, I'll be excited. I'll have friends over and we'll watch it. And there's something about that that feels like the exhale, but that concern and that wanting more and wanting to work more and not knowing, it's, it's always there because no matter what, a job as an actor ends and you have to find the next one and you want to find something that will be exciting and matter and push you forward and give you new opportunities. And I think 
you know, in the world we live in, nothing is really certain. And so, you know, it's hard to just kind of assume that it will happen. I'm a hustler. So I've always hustled to get to the next thing. And I feel like I've tried to kind of chill out the hustler a little bit and just know that the next thing is coming and it'll be there. But that is a major challenge. It's one of the things that I think every actor struggles with a lot is trying to just let it go. Or as Henry Rollins says, like, you're an approval-based product. Like, Henry Rollins is always like, I'm an approval-based product. People could stop wanting to buy the product of Henry Rollins tomorrow. So it does kind of keep you on edge, but that edge also keeps you sharp, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think what it also does is it it brings up to me how much um, I've always wanted to be an actor. I mean, I don't remember a time when it wasn't my plan. And, um, you know, when you want to be an actor forever, people will meet you with, you know, but, it, but that's so hard. Oh, but it's next to impossible. Oh, but are you sure? You know, there's all those questions always. And I think every time, you know, I come around to that feeling of like, oh gosh, oh gosh, what it does is it really does help me see that it, it is the thing that I want more than anything. It's the thing that I love. It makes me feel alive. It makes me feel the most myself. And I think that's a really positive thing because I think that so many people struggle with trying to figure out what they want to do. That's and true. I, I've never had that. I've had more of, I know what I want. I know how difficult it can be. And I just want to do everything I can to try to get there. Um, so I'm proud of myself for getting to where I am now, but I don't feel like I'm done yet at all. I have so much more I want to do and give. And there's so many projects I wanted to be a part of that I didn't get to. And you just get through it and hope for the next one that it goes your way. Well, and that's the really cool thing about you, Meryl, because, you know, I'm watching, you know, your reels and I'm, you know, of course I watch The Good Place. It's one of my favorite shows. Um, I watch Veep. Um, You know, there's a lot of things, a lot of uh, interesting differences in every single character that you play. Like it's, it's total commitment and it's not, it's not one dimensional. Like I've seen people that are, seem to be somewhat one dimensional and you are very across the board. Like, I can see you playing an evil bitch just as much as I can see you playing the sweetest person in the world. Like, you are, you are so committed and so dedicated to your craft. And when you talk about the hustle and the passion that you have for your craft, it really comes through in everything that you do. And I get the adrenaline rush that comes from a live performance and, you know, how that's a little different from a state, from a, you know, a set performance. But really, uh, it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you're doing your YouTube videos for you or whether you're, you know, on set, you really have a level of commitment and dedication and you are believable. Like there are so many actors out there that are not believable and you can tell that you're about the hustle, that you're about the craft. And I just want to say for everybody out there listening, you have to check out All Things Meryl because it is amazing, absolutely amazing. And I do appreciate what you do and your dedication. You've really brought good things to this craft. I'm so flattered. I, I really, really am. I honestly, the, the number one thing I've always focused on with my acting from the very beginning when I had no credits and I, I did not know what an AD was and I had no clue what was going on. All I knew was what felt real to me and what always felt real to me. And what was most important to me was always to be grounded enough in each performance that no matter what and who's watching and what they know about either the show or the film or whatever it is, that they don't second guess me. Because I think as a viewer that we can all agree that there are certain 
TV shows or films or web series or what, what have you, where, yeah, you, you don't buy it. You don't buy one of the people in the scene or you right. don't buy an actor doing, you know, and it takes you out of the world so much. And my goal was always to make sure that I was relatable enough that no matter who was watching, that they would be able to identify with me. And like you said, I, either playing like the sweetest person or the most evil person, we all have a little bit of both in us. Like, I mean, no matter who you are, everybody has a little bit of both. And being able to relate to characters is why people connect to shows and, and films. It's, it's why you go back to the same ones again and again. Either they make you laugh, they make you angry, they make you scared, all of that, but you relate to something. And I think as a performer, that's the biggest thing is you have to show humanity. And that's always been my goal. So hearing that you found that in, in my performances is such a, a, a gift. So thank you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, I have a special connection with you because you're from Rockville, Maryland. I'm from Waldorf, Maryland. And it yes. seems like I've been talking to a lot of people. Like, it's funny how many people come from the D.C. area. And I grew up in the D.C. punk scene, which was like a lot of Ian McKay, Henry Rollins, Minor Threat, things like that. And I think people kind of underestimate that Maryland, Virginia, D.C. Beltway connection. There is a lot of talented people in that area. Yeah. And you know what's so funny? You say that. Also, also hilarious you're, at, you're from Waldorf. Like, it's just such a small world. But my um a guy that i actually was in like diapers with and our parents were friends back in maryland forever ago um we ended up you know realizing that we were both out here in california and we watched a football game last weekend together like it was so random and hilarious but so awesome you know and it, and it is funny how many people you do run into uh out here and and i know that I felt very fostered in the arts in, in suburban Maryland where I grew up, um, Rockville, Bethesda, um, into DC, the arts were very important. And, um, my mom used to sing and loves music and films and, sh and shows. And I loved theater and my theater, um, you know, group in high school was very tight knit and everybody was so invested. And I feel so lucky, especially now just knowing that a lot of those things have changed in certain areas or certain schools don't have certain things. And I just feel so grateful that I did because it absolutely made a huge difference in my life. Like a hundred percent. Right. And there's a certain flavor you have coming from that DC, like um, beltway area that I feel like you won't get if you're coming up from Florida or even from Chicago and areas like that. I just feel like that DC beltway area has its own particular flavor. Yeah, I think so too. Um, Hopefully the big evil man doesn't change the flavor at all. But I think that's yeah. like going to fight through. It's going to be anyway. cheese flavored. Oh Lord! I um, wish it was that passive. I mean, it, it definitely you know having the Kennedy Center you know like forty five minutes away from you is pretty incredible. And I always grew up you know really thinking you know really thinking about the arts and and the different things coming through dc like we were so lucky to have so many great shows and stuff that would come and then the rest of my family are new yorkers so then i would get to go you know four and a half hours north um to the city and see a broadway show and i i feel so grateful because i do think that it has made a lot of people from our area um, very well versed in the arts and, and supporters of it. And a friend of mine has a son in, and his school um, has been fighting for a new arts program and he's been sending out all these emails about it. And it's just, we didn't have to fight for it. It was just there. And I, that's such a beautiful gift. And I just hope that 
more and more kids get to understand and, and feel hopeful towards that and want to be involved in the arts because it's, it's just everyone can relate and everyone's a part mm-hmm. of it. You know, it's, it's humanity at its best. So what do you think separates somebody who's made it to your level and those who don't? And I know a lot of it has to do with luck and who you know and timing. But for the most part, mm-hmm. is it raw talent? Is it tenacity? Is it attitude? I mean, because I feel like 30 years ago, you could be somebody very hard to work with. And if you're a big talent and you've heard horror stories about different actors, it's like, well, he's such a big talent. We have to deal with it. But I don't feel like that's a case anymore today. I feel like people don't have to put up with people that are horrible to work with. So is that the biggest part of success is just being easy to work with in that industry? Yeah, there's, well, there's so many things. It's definitely a factor. I, I personally have worked with, um, I was on a set once with a celebrity and, um, I was astounded at how she treated people. Um, and no one on the crew or on the set was comfortable with it at all. Um, I don't remember how long it lasted, but the show did not last very long. It didn't get to a, a, a second season or anything. And, um, I think that was very indicative of the, the way everyone was being treated. Um, no one wants to put up with that. Life is hard enough, you know, and we're here to make something funny or, or something emotional and raw and people want to connect to it. No one needs to show up at work and get yelled at, you know, it's just not what has to happen. And in certain circumstances it, it does, but, I do think that being someone that people can rely on is a huge, a huge thing. I think in terms of um, like getting to continue working, absolutely being someone who people look at and, you know, if someone said to me, Oh, you know, Meryl, Oh, like, you know, is it going to be between Meryl or this other girl? And if the other girl had not been great another time and someone had worked with her and said, well, I don't know, maybe we go with the one that we know is easier. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think we would all choose the easier path if it led to more happiness in that way. So I always try to remember that, especially when I'm coming into a show and these people are working there every day, I'm a guest, you know, this is their home that I'm in. And I want to make sure that I am welcomed back at some point. But more than that, I want to enjoy the day. I want everyone to enjoy the day. And I just want to add to a good side of things rather than making anything more difficult. I think really, though, when it comes to how some people make it and some people don't, you know, I mean, there have been many times that I felt very much and was the person who wasn't making it. Or there have been many times that I got really close to the lead role in something that's gone on to a season three and I didn't get it, but no one knew I got even close. And that's really hard when you're working really, really hard and steadily and you know, you're doing well, but you don't actually get the thing where people see that you're doing well, if that makes sense. And I think when that happens, there are a lot of people who just feel like it's not satisfying and they have to walk away. I think a lot of people don't get, don't get to that place where they they wanted to be on a show or they wanted to be in film. And, you know, luck is such a huge part of this. I can't stress it enough. It, it's so strange. Some of the stories that you'll hear, but they're all true um, where someone didn't get hired because, you know, they were two inches shorter than someone who has a little bit of a complex about it and decided, no, they didn't want that person to make them look shorter. Things like that where it has nothing to do with how great the scenes would go or, you know, how much people would connect to these people. It's like it becomes um, very tedious, very technical little things that have very little to do with performance. And 
So there are a lot of actors that are brilliant and so good and you don't get to see them work. Um, and it's such a shame when that, 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 that happens, but I think it also happens to every actor who's working, you know, I mean, Uma Thurman did not get every single job she went out for, believe it or not. I mean, she's brilliant and gorgeous, but there's no way she got every job. So it's just a part of it. It's just, um, it's a weird, unfair kind of strange side of it. But I think, you know, being pleasant, no matter what, really trying to respect everyone around you and, and getting respect back is huge. I think always being able to take constructive criticism or direction and not be yeah. offended um, is a big thing. Uh, a lot of people come in with one way in their head and do not want to change it. And that's not the world of an actor. Um, you want to come in prepared. You want to come in knowing how you want to play someone and how that person would then interact with the other characters. But you know, the director has final say over those things and the writers have their input and it all will end up usually trying to create a better product. So you have to be able to collaborate. And if you can't collaborate, there's just no way that you'll move forward because no matter what, every set and every show is a collaboration. So I think those are really big factors too. But if there's one thing that I want to be the takeaway from these shows when I talk to people is there's this misconception, and my dad had it when I was growing up, that making it in any kind of arts or entertainment is like winning the lottery, that you have no control over it, that there's no processes, that there's nothing that you can do to facilitate it or, or make your odds better, that it's basically all you guys are thrown into like one of these bingo um, rotating things, and they just pick a bingo ball out, and they go, Meryl, you're going to make it onto the good place today and it kind of yeah. really irks me when people act like there's no work or sweat or blood or tears behind it it's just all a crapshoot and it's really not that way oh no it's not that way at all no 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 i mean you know it, you get to a certain place within the industry and then things are uh, a lot of the time there is a lot of luck involved and things like that but no i mean i started off you know coming out of college going straight to new york city and i didn't know a single actor i mean i didn't know anyone and had no clue what to do. It, I didn't throw my hands up in the air and go, uh-oh, well now, uh, you know, I didn't just like yell out into the ether, someone help me. I did my research and I, you know, bought the trade papers and started doing, um, you know, some investigative reporting of where I could go and take a class or, you know, meet casting directors and how you bridge exactly. the gap of yep. meeting them and um, finding agents and what kind of representation do you really need and what's the best way to break in. And I learned it was commercials. So I took a commercial class and through that I got an agent and, you know, it didn't come. You also said you were sitting in on readings on something I heard or read about you too. Yeah, right? I... Yeah, I and I have, I would never I would tell everyone to do that. It's the best way of learning. And everyone told me that when I started it. And I, I didn't know if it was true, but it really is that if you have the opportunity to um, meet a casting person and they say, you know, would you be willing to be a reader for a session or, you know, I'm I'm doing a last minute director session for this film. We have to finish by five o'clock and know who our girl is. Will you come in for six hours? I can't pay you. The answer is yes. Because you end up be, and I got to do this many times. And part of it was, yes, I followed up with casting and I would send an email or a postcard saying, thank you so much. I learned a lot. It was great. Hope to see you in the future. And I was very, very, very adamant about making sure that I made a mark on someone without pushing too hard. But then 
And right. I was rewarded by getting to go in and have these moments where I'm reading opposite actors that I very well, I definitely knew a lot of them from things that I had grown up watching, which can be intimidating. Or you're watching an actor that you know from a film that you've seen a hundred times be in a completely different scenario where there's six people in a tiny room. They're standing there with a script they got two days ago and they're nervous and they have to create this thing in front of you. And there was nothing like being able to just watch that happen and be there as the actor to help that actor do better. And you learn so much through that. And that, you know, that really speaks to you as a human being a lot, just on a personal level. It speaks to you as a human being that you want to do your research. You love your craft so much that you want to go in, you want to learn, you understand, hey, I can really pull something out of this. I can glean something out of this. This can make me better and do better what I want to do that I'm so passionate about. You know, I spent over mm-hmm. a decade as an optician, and I was very fortunate to to be under some very some very prominent people in that world and learn a lot from anywhere from low vision to, you know, child therapy as far as eye therapy goes. And, I, I, you know, I spent over a decade in that field. And it was always amazing to me to just walk into a situation that I knew nothing about. I had to walk in and decide, okay, I have to learn how to put contacts in people's eyes and take them out by myself. So we need oh. to keep our nails short. And Oh, yeah. And I had to learn about low vision and putting scopes in glasses and all, the, all sorts of stuff. But the important thing was it didn't matter where I went or what I did. I was always willing to learn. And I think if people can get out of that mentality of, hey, I'm going to do this and nobody's going to tell me what to do. If you walk in with, hey, I can learn something, I can help someone, or I can be helped, that speaks a lot to you as an individual and how open and dedicated you are to your craft. And again, I'm going to say it again, and I don't want to sound like a total fangirl, but I am. You know, it really shines through in what you do and how genuine it is and how believable it is, especially coming from like a book reading world where I can kind of create my own fantasy when I read the book and I can, you know, visualize everything. When I watch something on TV or watch something on stage, I want to feel like I'm immersed in that world. And that's exactly what you do because you are so dedicated to your craft and dedicated to learning and helping. And I think that's super important for people to understand. Right. Oh, well, thank you. I think everyone would be better in every profession if they thought that way. You know, I mean, don't you think like, it's fake yeah. until you make it. You got you to gotta learn how to do everything. There's no way that Meryl Streep, you know, woke up and was just like, oh, I know how to cry on command and make everyone understand, you know, or think that I'm this person from this completely other country going through this thing. No, she learned how to do it. She, she chose that as the thing she was passionate about, and she took the step. Yes, she became a brilliant actor, but it's a lot of work. It's not like she woke up and it just happened. Um, and I right. think it's so easy in our society and our culture to read the magazines and watch the ads and, and watch the shows and the movies and the award shows and all that stuff and just assume that it was easy. You know, and yeah, these Hollywood people just liberals better than me. just lucked out. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. Yeah, and I just wish that what people understood about you know, the town that we live in and this industry of entertainment that none of us had it easy. Mm. I mean, if you did, good for you. That's wonderful. You're a rare exception. Most people that I've met here or that I've worked with or that I know of, we all come from a lot of struggle to find, you know, get to the place in life that we want to be and, um, and, and get to do the things we want. And, 
none of us, I, I think I wouldn't be a good performer if I didn't have the base of a lot of different, different emotional struggles that I've been through. Because without that, you're not a full, full entertainer because you don't know how to touch people in all the different ways people need to feel things. And it's not easy. It doesn't just come naturally. You have to, I mean, a lot of it will come naturally, but you still have to learn so much. And so, yeah, I think no matter what, and, and yeah, I mean, how could you know how to put contact in someone's eyeballs? Someone has to show you the proper way to do it. thought I was going to blind someone. (laughs) Oh my I thought God. everybody was going to walk so out scared. looking like a pirate. I, I right. swear. Parrot on the shoulder pirate. Have, Bad. Oh, my God. I would have peed my pants if someone asked me to do <laughs> that. That's so scary to me. I get it. and But I, I just think, like, no, we're all trying to make things that people can connect to. And if you're an artist, it's, you know, that's all you want. You live and you breathe it. And um, it's a shame that some people really do look at Hollywood and at, actors as well they all just have it it's so easy and they're pretty and it's well, simple because right. it's not it's and, just not I mean, at all and you brought up something that that i think is really really important too is that if you're nice to people if you treat them like human beings then they're going to remember you for that you know and and we've we've yeah. gotten to talk to a lot of really really great and really talented people doing our podcast and the one thing that i always tell everybody when they ask us about it, it's like, you know, they're just people, you know, they, they're just really, we've gotten lucky and we've gotten some really fabulous people who have done some really cool things, but they're just, they're genuinely kind and they genuinely give a crap about other people. I mean, that's, that's the thing. If you go into an audition or something and you're the bitch, people know, People are going to remember, and they may oh, yeah. or may not want to work with you because of it. But if you go in and you're just trying to be nice, and you're like, oh, well, you know, I thought this was pronounced that way, and, you know, helping, like, the person next to you, they're going to remember that next time. Even if you don't get the part yeah. and they do over you, guess what? Next time they have a part for something and somebody's like, oh, we need somebody for this, they're going to be like, hey, you know, I worked with somebody this one time, and they were so super nice. I bet they do really well in this. Like, That's it, a great point. Yeah, yeah. and – that does happen. It absolutely does happen that way because, you know, like anywhere else, there's, there's a lot of very kind people and people that have the best intentions. And then there's always going to be the ones that don't or who, or who aren't. And, you know, it, it, it is a big, a vast difference of spending 16 hours a day with someone that you can just tolerate and then spending 16 hours a day with someone who can can relax and carry on a normal conversation and um you don't have to worry about making you feel bad or stressed out it's just nah let's just let's just make so it's like assholes together. versus not assholes and pretty much that's <laughs> yeah. what it boils down to well what have yeah, i always I mean, said fern i made this point a hundred times that when i started doing this like you always have this and i didn't have this misconception but people are like oh you're going to try to talk to all these different people hollywood elites blah 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 right. and i was from a little bit different of a world so i never bought into that but we've had over 200 guests on this show and i think a total of five years that I, we've been doing this and two for you fern but five for me like i've only had two or three bad experiences with people yeah. and we've gotten to talk to some pretty iconic people in the industry so i'm just not yeah. seeing it when people gripe about all oh, the hollywood exactly. elites are all stuck up and all this stuff i've i haven't seen it and i've talked to over no. 200 people well and we also know we obviously know all the things that are happening right now in in town i mean there's a lot of people saying you know what enough we've dealt with this 
for long enough, we're not going to do it anymore. Things don't have to be this hard. Things don't have to be so negative. Things don't have to be difficult on every side of things if we're all just good to each other. And I think, unfortunately, so much of what's going on in the world is just overwhelmingly negative. And I think for people like me, like it's been a real, you know, I feel like my bubble was burst in a way um, since all this kind of came out. And, you know, just the past year of life in the United States has been a little challenging. Um, You can say it. It's a shit show. You can say it. It's all good. It's It's a shit show. show. Um, It's. it's, (laughs) It's honestly everything that I was taught to strive for and believe in, this man is against. And it's very confusing, I think, um, to come into a place where you're an adult and finally starting your own life and your own career and all those things. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, I thought the values that I was taught and to work hard and be kind to people and to help someone when they need it, um, all of those things are are just being like tossed out the window like they're, they're wrong or they don't matter. And it's so not the case. And I know we'll all get through it. I know we will because it's bringing out the best in so many people. And we're all trying to fight back with the kindness that we have. Plus, hate is exhausting, right? The guys on the other side have a disadvantage because you can only hate for so long before you're just tuckered out and want to go to bed. Unless you're a raving fucking psycho, you don't want to just hate all day, every day on social media. No, and it's exhausting. It really is. And I think, um, you know, what I've learned is just that there's always going to be good eggs and there's always going to be bad eggs. And the bad eggs, they're sad. Something went wrong. They don't feel loved. There's a lot going on that we don't see. And it is unfortunate that this bad egg happens to have taken over everyone else because he's the person in position of power. That's what's hard about it because we're all affected because of his decisions. But That being said, I think it's the same as in Hollywood is that, you know, there are going to be the bad people that you don't want to be involved with or that you've heard the stories about or what have you. And it is a matter of like choosing your path, but then things sometimes just happen to you and it's how you handle it and trying to get through it. And I am not always graceful with how I handle things. You know, I get, I, I'm an actor. I'm an emotional person. I'm very sensitive. Things affect me very fully and it's been challenging to try to yeah. take deep breaths, you know, throughout the day, every day. But it's also, it's a challenge that we're all going to learn something from. We're all going to be better nice. as we get yes. through it. Well, and you know, I'm we glad you're segueing that way because we, we're running way over. And I definitely want to hit the It's On Us campaign and your oh, participation yeah. and the illogical videos and because there's a lot going on with Harvey Weinstein, and we're going to touch on that in a moment. So let's kind of wrap mm-hmm. this up, talking about what the current, you know, big thing coming out of Hollywood right now. But I want to start with, it's on us, the illogical videos. How did you become a part of it? And as you see society kind of, kind of finally recognizing what's been going on in Hollywood, and also the Me Too campaign and everything like that that was on Facebook. Are we finally headed in the right direction when it comes to acknowledgement, awareness, addressing sexual harassment, sexual abuse, or have we not even barely scratched the surface? How do you look at what lens are you looking at it through? Are you hopeful and positive that all this stuff come out? Or is it like, man, it's been going on for years and we're just now talking about it? I mean, I think no matter what you could say the latter that, you know, we've, it's been going on for so long. How is, how is this still such a, such a thing? But 
that being said, it's absolutely moving in the right direction. I feel very positive about it. I think that it's incredible the amount of strength that all these women have had to come forward knowing they could be judged and all the things that are going to affect them now. But they, they did the right thing. All of them are doing the right yes. thing. And it's something that is so hard. I know just in my circle of comedy people, there was a big scandal a year. It was a year and a half ago, I believe, um, sexual harassment issue. And it was so widespread here. I was shocked. I, I, I thankfully and very luckily never had this happen to me. I've never been sexually assaulted. And I thank my lucky stars because I did not understand how prevalent it really is. And I think the best thing that can happen is that people are honest about what's really going on. Because the covering up and the lying or, or acting like, you know what, I'll just let it go and I won't ever have to think about it again. None of that works. And it's never going to work. So we're already past the hump of that silence that went on for well, far good. long. Yeah. I think I'm glad you look at it that way. Better. Because let me tell yeah. you, when the girls were doing the Me Too campaign and all that was coming up and I saw guys getting on and just saying horrible stuff. And one of the most ludicrous things I saw people say was, oh, well, this is just you're jumping on the bandwagon and all these women are lying about being raped or sexually abused just to kind of jump on the bandwagon and like be cool. And I'm like, I, like I'm trying to process this. Like, so your idea of being cool is a girl saying she was overpowered by a man and viciously raped. And in your head, that's they're doing that to be cool. Like, I just don't understand that male pushback. And I actually posted yeah. this. I, I want to read something that I posted when this was all going on. I said, guess what I've been seeing all day on Facebook? Women simply posting two words, me too, which is asking for two things, in my opinion, acknowledgement and accountability. Sadly, I've seen many men refuse to give women either and instead act like they are the victims for being made to feel uncomfortable, weak. Men, you want to pound your chest and show the world how tough you are? Why don't you start by having the guts to admit that all men are accountable to one degree or another and give these women their due instead of trying to shut them down or shame them? And the yeah. feedback I got from women was like, oh, my God, you're an ally. Thank you so much. You're so awesome. And I was like, but, dude, I'm literally doing the absolute least I can do. Like, I'm posting yeah. this on Facebook, right. and women are just so grateful for just that tiny bit of acknowledgement it really shows how perverse society is where women are just like, I mean, I appreciate it, of course, but it just kind of shows how perverse everything is where it's like, wow, man, you're a guy who even acknowledges this exists. Like you're an ally. Yeah. It's all very foreign to me. The, the, um, the, the lack of acknowledgement. I, I just don't understand it. I was brought up to be very honest and open. Um, and I know that I'm, I'm lucky in that way. Um, it, it's natural to me to, if something bad happens to fight back or to say something or say, you know, I mean, I still get yelled at walking down the street almost every day by someone in a car yelling out or whistling or something. It, it used to make me infuriated. Now I'm just sort of numb to it. But if I yes. have the moment, I yell back disrespectful. I just, wow, I, do it. Yes. I, go, I don't, or I go, I don't want that. Because, yes, it is a matter of, for whatever reason, our society has allowed for males to feel that they are able to say or do whatever they want to a female. I don't know how it started or why exactly, but it's, enough is enough. It's 2017. We all know better than that. And guess what? We all came from the inside of a woman. So who ever told a man 
that he had any right to look down on a woman or talk down to her or beat her or assault her. It makes zero sense, first of all. Second of all, it's very sad. So I think at this point, you know, the queen of all queens in this, Rose McGowan and and Ashley Judd and all of them, they are the ones who said, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to allow this to happen to any other girls that I could prevent it from happening to. I'm done. And I'm not going to be cute and pretty about it. I'm going to say, hey, I'm an adult. This happened to me. Arrest the guy. Figure out what to do. But But because that happened, that's why I'm saying that I think we should be looking forward and be positive about what's going to come because all the girls are learning and all the guys are learning. And if you go through the trades right now, you're seeing left and right people getting fired and suspended because every single person now is going, Oh, wait a minute. Now I get to say something. Well, guess what's going to happen. Everyone will say something because no one should have to deal with it. And now that it's become public, no one will. So glad we're evolving. All right, let's pivot back because we've got to get out of here. I, but I do want to talk yeah. about It's On Us campaign. Um, the illogical yeah. videos. I know you're in one of them. How did you get involved in this? And I, once again, this is a step in the right direction, right? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I was lucky enough to be asked by a casting director who's been good to me, who I've been in front of many times and has cast me in a few things. And she uh, sent me basically the pitch idea for this video said, you know, friend of a friend creating, would you be interested? And I said, a hundred percent, say no more. I'm, I'm in. And it ended up being an incredible day. Uh, I got to work with great people. And beyond that, we were all so excited and are still, I mean, even more excited now because it's gone viral in all different ways. It's across the world now in all these different countries being translated. And I personally actually messaged Rose McGowan through Instagram with the link. And that's when she tweeted it, the video, she read my message and tweeted it the same day. And it, it just shows that Everybody wants to help the situation. Everybody wants to make a difference. And I love that Jojo Stein, uh, who created this, and Dave Gassman, that they thought of it in a funny way. How do we make a funny, weird situation mean something that will go, make you go, oh, my gosh, I never thought of it like that. And that's a hard thing to do. So I think it's making all the difference. I think it's an incredible campaign. I hope that they get to show it even and do more and maybe it'll get on air. Who knows? But I definitely think the more people are seeing it, the more they're really grasping the concept of how ridiculous things have become and how much they need to change. And I'm so grateful to be a part of it. Well, I think that's a positive note we should end on. Fern, we always say the half hour mm-hmm. of comedy after show. We always run so long, right? <laughs> oh yeah but you know how what? do this we do been, it <laughs> how can you not with Meryl like really I just how can you not go along I mean it's amazing and you know I want to I do want to I do want to chime in on this this women's uh, sexual abuse and sexual assault issue because you know as a female I think you are right Meryl we've become numb it's become a sense of normalcy that if you go out to a mm-hmm. bar you have to worry about what you wear you have to worry about how you look because oh, somebody's yeah. going to walk up to you and say, dude, there are so many people I want to shoot in the face on a daily basis. It's ridiculous. But you do yeah. become numb to it. It becomes expected that if you walk into a bar, if you're wearing something a short or a low cut, they're going to say, hey, nice tits, or try to grab your ass. And it's, it's, in, it's insulting. And men think, oh, well, you girls, you're just, are you on your period? Like your hormones are out of, out of control. But they don't know what it's like to walk back to your car with keys between your fingers because you went to watch a sunset on the beach. They don't understand yep. what it's like to walk up to a bar and just say, you know what, 
I'm a chick, but I like to watch football, so I'm going to Uber, watch my football, have a few beers, and go home, and not worry about people coming up and trying to get you and trying to take you home. They don't understand what that's like. Now, they'd probably love for that to happen, but that's kind of a blanket statement that I don't want to, you know, get into too much, but the, the privilege that men have, they don't understand from the time you're very small, from the time you're very young, you have to fit an ideology of what people will like. And as you become yeah. an adult, you realize, I don't have to fit that ideology. I can become myself, and I can be myself, and I can be happy with who I am and how I look and go out and dress nice. But you can't do that without worrying about being attacked. And it's, it's insane. It's absolutely well, we've insane. we've talked about how good it is. Yeah. And I'm always like, man, I'm happy like with Catherine Dunn the other day. Um, it was actually a couple weeks ago. I saw something on her page about like she had doxxed this dude who was saying just horribly like inappropriate shit to her. And then he came back. He's like, please, please stop it. Take it down. My mom might see it. And I'm like, you know, if she takes it down, he's just going to go, ha all I have to do is do a sob story and I get my way. Uh-huh. And I'm like, good, good. I'm glad these people are being forced to be held accountable when they say totally shitty and inappropriate things to women. I'm glad that people are finally kind of weaponizing Facebook to push back because guys get on here with anonymity and behind their computers and go, oh, I could send like – Dee has an account that she set up just for the show, and I can't tell you how many, like, dick pics she gets on a weekly basis. Like, unsolicited dick pics just, like, Mm -hmm. rolling in it, and I share it with her because we do show stuff on it, and I'm like, this is fucking crazy. She needs to create wallpaper. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all the dick pics that I get, and I'm going to make wallpaper out of them, and I'm going to wallpaper a room, and then I'm going to take a big picture of it and be like, can you find your dick? You know, I mean, really, you yeah, have to like, shame these people though. because it's ridiculous. There's a bully mentality of I'm stronger than you, you're weaker than me. And when women do stand up, they're like, oh, shit, well, you're just being overly sensitive. No, motherfucker, if you show up in a bar with pants that are tight because you want to impress the ladies with your package and some dude comes up to you and grabs your balls, I'm sure you'd find it offensive. So don't right. talk to yeah. me about my boobs and don't grab my ass. Oh, yeah. I, 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 we all have all of our stories, right? Like, we all know how many different times. And, and, and like we said, that we're numb. Like, we've probably forgotten about some of them. There have been so many times. That Normalcy. Been yelled at or said something. Or, I mean, I was walking into my uh, place I just moved to about a week ago, and a guy stopped on the street and started talking to me. And I thought he was being like a new neighbor or something at first. And then he comes to start talking about how he owns a foot fetish business. And will I pose for him and going on and on and on. I'm holding all these groceries and he's like harassing me in, in front of me. And I'm looking at him like, are you in your mind? Like, I'm going to make my apple pie right and now? think about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, oh you'll never see my toes for the love of God. You'll never see him, man. And, and yeah, it's sad, but I, I do think that because so many of us have gotten to a point where we're just, we're fed up and we're stronger than this and we're better than dealing with it, we're not going to yes. anymore. And I have always, I, I, my mother taught me to be outspoken and to fight for what's right and to fight for people who can't fight for themselves. Yes. And you know what? I can fight for myself and a lot of people can't. I will be a part of any of these kinds of protests or conversations as much as I can, because there are a lot of girls that are hiding in their bedrooms too ashamed to come forward. And that's wrong. And we have to stop it. And so I think we all are by talking about it and pushing the message and making sure that you do hold people accountable. And if you see something happening, say something, get involved, make sure that she's okay. Don't let anybody 
clearly be doing what you know shouldn't happen. And men need to be the ones to come forward also and say, you know what, dude, walk away right now. And not yep. enough of them do because they don't want to get into a fight. And that's fight. where the accountability comes in. And I say it all the time. You've yeah. got to fix some stuff within your community. When I have conservative yeah. friends that are like, everybody thinks I'm a Nazi or KKK, I go, it's because you've allowed Nazis and KKK and alt-right assholes to say we are Republicans. This is what the Republican Party is now. Yeah. And so you guys, yeah, I can't fix that for you. You need to fix that within your own community. You need to take a stand and drive those dudes out. And I think the biggest thing is that if everybody still thought in terms of treat others as you would hope to be treated, and if, if, you, if you see someone who can't fight for themselves, help them fight back by being there. We would be in a much better place, you know? So hopefully we're going to start getting back to that. And men will open doors for women instead of yelling at them. And, you know, we can all be happier people and everybody can be more comfortable in their own skin and gay people can be comfortable being themselves and transgender can go to whatever the bathroom they want. And we can all move forward and leave everyone mm -hmm. alone, you know, and just be supportive of who people are because no one is choosing to do the harder thing. The harder thing is harder. Everyone wants it to be simpler, especially as we get older and we're dealing with a million things. You know, you don't know what someone's baggage is. Someone might have just but the right thing is normally the harder thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and it is, but it, I think it can be looked at as the easier thing when it's like, well, there's no decision here. It's just, that's the right thing. So that's what right. I do, you know, but it, we've been given too many reasons to second guess that and do all these other things instead of just doing the easy, straightforward, nice thing to do. So I think if, you guys are all good people. I'm a good person. There's plenty of us out here. We just all have to help support each other and make sure that we're not lying down and letting people walk all over us forever. It just can't happen. Could not agree more. Great place to end. We've run way over. <laughs> uh, Meryl, I want to thank you so much for calling in. You're an absolute delight. Uh, I could end up talking to you for the next three hours, honestly. But Dee has Hi. been giving us a signal. <laughs> We've got to get out of here. Um, before you go, let everybody know where we can find you on the interwebs and also button pushers. I was checking out a couple episodes. You haven't done one in a while. Is that still going yeah. on, your button pushers podcast? Well, we're probably taking a break for right now just because my partner in it has had a bunch of things and I have two. We're out of town and blah, blah, blah. But um, there's more things coming up in the future and everything me you can find on my website, which is just my name, MerylHathaway.com. I try to update it as much as I can with new, exciting stuff. I will be appearing in The Good Place Season 2 come 2018 um, and a couple other things in the works, but everything will be updated there. I'm also very active on Instagram and I'm on Twitter occasionally when I can deal with it. <laughs> right on. All righty, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we will be back on December 3rd. Also, don't forget to set your clocks back. Dee, I think you found us a nice little reminder, a cute little reminder song to set your clocks back, right? Every fall and every spring, most of us do the same old thing. Gain an hour here, lose an hour there. For daylight savings, I just don't care. Spring forward, fall back. Spring forward, fall back. I know you can do it because you got the knack. Spring forward, fall back. 
Early to bed, early to rise I Makes a man healthy, wealthy and wise But daylight savings is a crying shame And old Ben Franklin is the one to blame Spring forward, fall back Spring forward, fall back But I know you can do it cause you got the knack Spring forward, fall back when Dylan said we gotta change the time It wasn't daylight savings that he had in mind It's just a big headache As we all know that old daylight savings has got to go Spring forward, forward.